0: Welcome to the Climate Report on Forward Radio, WFMP 106.5 FM Louisville. Also streaming worldwide at ForwardRadio.org. This is Hart Hagen, your host, and we are on episode number 346. Today's topic is Nicaragua 1984. So, why are we talking about Nicaragua 1984? Well, this involves a time period, <laughs> like most time periods in our lifetime and before, when the U.S. is making war on small countries. In this case, the U.S. is making war on Nicaragua. We're going to look at the speech of President Reagan from May 9th, 1984. And here's why 1984 is an appropriate topic. And that is, much of President Reagan's speech involves words that mean the opposite of what you would think they mean, and it involves facts that are the opposite of the actual facts on the ground. When we refer to Orwellian language, we're talking about language that is the opposite of what it is supposed to mean. In 1984 they say, war is peace, freedom is slavery, and ignorance is strength. Of course, we know that war is not peace, and we know that ignorance is not strength, and we know that freedom is not slavery, but if you hear a lie often enough, you almost come to believe it. But why are we talking about Nicaragua 1984 on the climate report? Why are we talking about war on the climate report? Well, the purpose of the climate report is to solve climate change and the climate will not survive endless war because endless war involves CO2, lots and lots and lots of fossil fuels, lots and lots and lots of CO2, lots and lots and lots of of deforestation, lots and lots and lots, lots of pollution, An endless war involves lots and lots and lots of repression. We are keeping people stuck. We are depriving people of the right to use and sell their own country's resources. In no universe does this represent freedom or democracy. And if we keep people deprived of their of their fair share of the resources, then they cannot be part of the solution to climate change. And the last reason we're talking about Nicaragua 1984 on the climate report is because it relates to war and the purpose of war is unfair trade deals. The reason you have more strength than your neighbor is to coerce your neighbor into unfair trade deals. And these global trade deals provide these perverse incentives to make us, you know, we're getting apples from the southern hemisphere. We can grow apples in the northern hemisphere. If there's a reason we're getting apples from the southern hemisphere, I would like to know it. But the real reason is it provides a little bitty advantage to the people at the top to extract wealth while depriving regular people of a fair chance at growing their own food, manufacturing their own goods, without having to compete with global behemoths and transnational corporations. So let's go to May 9th, 1984. President Reagan is speaking to us from the Oval Office. We're joining the speech part way through. He says, the issue is our effort to promote democracy and economic well-being in the face of Cuban and Nicaraguan aggression, aided and abetted by the Soviet Union. It is definitely not about plans to send American troops into combat in Central America. Each year, the Soviet Union provides Cuba with $4 billion in assistance, and it sends tons of weapons to foment revolution here in our hemisphere. I'm reading from Ronald Reagan's Speak to the, Speech to the Nation, May 9, 1984, and he says, The defense policy of the United States is based on a simple premise. We do not start wars. We will never be the aggressor. Okay, we could stop there. We're not going to stop there, but we could stop there, because if you want to know the facts, the most important fact to know in this situation is who is the aggressor and who is the defender. Throughout this speech, Reagan endlessly positions us as the defenders and the Nicaraguans as the aggressors and the Cubans and the Soviets as aggressors. We will talk about who is the aggressor and who is the defender. So, Reagan says, the defense policy of the United States is based on a simple premise. We do not start wars. We will never be the aggressor. We maintain our strength in order to deter and defend against aggression, to preserve freedom and peace. We help our friends defend themselves. Central America is a region of great importance to the United States, and it is so close. San Salvador is closer to Houston, Texas, than Houston is to Washington, D.C. Central America is America. It's at our doorstep, and it's become the stage for a bold attempt by the Soviet Union, Cuba, and Nicaragua to install communism by force throughout the hemisphere. When half of our shipping tonnage and imported oil passes through the Caribbean shipping lanes, and nearly half of all our foreign trade passes through the Panama Canal and Caribbean waters, America's economy and well-being are at stake what we see in El Salvador is an attempt to destabilize the entire region and eventually move chaos and anarchy toward the American border. As the National Bipartisan Commission on Central America, chaired by Henry Kissinger, agreed, if we do nothing, if we continue to, pro- to provide too little help, our choice will be a communist Central America and an additional communist military bases on the mainland of this hemisphere and communist subversion spreading southward and northward. The communist subversion poses the threat that a 100 million people from Panama to the open border of our south could come under the control of pro-Soviet regimes. Continuing to read from Reagan's speech to the nation, May 9, 1984. He's talking to us about the importance of sending military support to South America, to Latin America, in this case Central America. If we come to our senses too late when our vital interests are even more directly threatened, and after a lack of American support causes our friends to lose the ability to defend themselves, then the risks to our security and our way of life will be infinitely greater. Whose way of life is he talking about there? Continuing to read, but there is a way to avoid these risks recommended by the National Bipartisan Commission on Central America. It requires long-term American support for democratic development, economic and security assistance, and strong-willed diplomacy. I want to read you something from an Oxfam pamphlet or book called The Threat of a Good Example by Diana Melrose. This was written in 1985, so almost the exact, the very same time period that Reagan is talking about. And what you have to understand is that okay this currently in 1984 now and in 1984 the Sandinistas are in the governing party in Nicaragua. Previously it had been the Somoza regime. The Somoza regime had ruled Nicaragua from the mid 30s to the late 70s. So we're talking about 40 years. Now, Oxfam is the author of or publisher of this book called The Threat of a Good Example, Nicaragua, The Threat of a Good Example. Oxfam is a British relief agency. And here's what they have to say about the Samosa legacy. There are 10 bullet points here all compiled from the Nicaraguan Health Ministry, UNICEF, and New England Journal of Medicine, an Instituto Historico Centroamericano, and the Institute for Food and Development Policy. So here is the brutal, samosa, pro-American regime. This is the type of regime that is all in favor of and in support of the wealthy corporations that want to use Central America, South America, and the rest of the world to extract wealth without giving people fair compensation for their labor or for their land, and without giving people a fair degree of control over their own country. So this is the Samosa legacy. The Samosas, in my view, are the bad guys, and objectively speaking, they were the party in power right before this time period we're talking about. So, the Samosas ruled from the mid 30s to the late 70s, and then the Sandinistas got in power. So, here is the Samosa legacy according to Oxfam one baby in eight under one year old died, compared with one in 83 in Britain. Two out of three children under five were undernourished. 93% of rural homes had no safe drinking water. Six out of ten deaths were caused by preventable and curable diseases. Only half the population, over half the population was illiterate. Two out of three peasant farmers were completely landless or had plots too small to meet their basic needs. That's only five out of ten of the bullet points And we could go on and on and on. It is the untold story. When it comes to Latin America, the untold story needs to be told, but you can never rely on the commercial media to tell the real story. So the people of Latin America are suffering. The government of the US then and now is causing the better portion of their suffering and those of us who don't know our true history are never going to see beyond the rhetoric. Gore Vidal said, Welcome to the United States of amnesia. We're the United States of amnesia because we don't know our history. We forget that we've been lied into the last three wars, and the three before that, and the three before that. Here's what Simone Bolivar had to say, Simone Bolivar was the liberator of Latin America in the early part of the 19th century, that is, in the early 1800s. And Simone Bolivar says, There is at the head of this great continent a very powerful country, very rich, very warlike, and capable of anything. In other words, all this liberation we're trying to accomplish here can be sabotaged by the United States, which is very rich, very warlike, and capable of anyth- anything. Here's something else Simone Bolivar said. He said, The United States seems destined to plague and torment the continent in the name of freedom. By continent, he's talking about the South American continent. The United States seems destined to plague and torment the continent in the name of freedom. They're not just going to torment and plague the continent, they're going to do so in the name of freedom. And before the 1980s and after the 1980s and up to the present day, all of the US rhetoric is about freedom. We're promoting freedom and democracy. That's why we're involved in Syria. That's why we've orchestrated an anti-Assad civil war that has killed 400,000 people because we don't like Assad because Assad doesn't fit our agenda, because Assad doesn't fit with our foreign policy. Another reason or further evidence that we are fighting for freedom and democracy in the world, is that we are aiding and abetting the Saudi-led genocide against the people of Yemen, which has killed roughly 400,000 people. So between Syria and Yemen, you've got nearly a million people. And we haven't even started to talk about Iraq or Afghanistan, Korea, Vietnam, Indonesia. There's an untold story. Indonesia, 500,000 people or more died in a CIA orchestrated coup in 1965. The leader who was ousted was fairly popular and popularly elected. His name was Sukarno, Sukarno. Sukarno led up the non-aligned movement that said, "Hey, we're those little countries that just want to be left alone. We don't want to be part of the Soviet sphere. We don't want to be a part of the American Sphere. We would like, if at all possible, to be able to trade with both and have political dealings with both. Hey, how about the superpowers not make us pick sides? So that was Sukarno, and he was replaced by Suharto, who was the U.S.-backed puppet dictator who ended up absconding with many billions of dollars. $12 billion is a conservative estimate for the amount of money that Suharto stole from his country. It's the American way. And when it comes to Latin America, there is nothing about the facts of Latin America that would lead an objective person to believe that the United States is fighting for freedom and democracy in Latin America. Let's read on a little more in President Reagan's speech from May 9, 1984. He says, There have been a number of high-level bilateral meetings with the Nicaraguan government where we presented specific proposals for peace. I have appointed two special ambassadors who have made more than 10 trips to the region in pursuit of peace during the last year. And Central America's democratic neighbors, Mexico, Venezuela, Colombia, and Panama, have launched a comprehensive initiative for peace through what is known as the Contadora Process. The United States fully supports the objectives of that process. So when he says, we have presented specific proposals for peace, the question is, why is there war to begin with? Do we have war to begin with because the Nicaraguans are making war on the United States? Or do we have war because the United States is making war on the people of Nicaragua? Call it a civil war if you want, but the United States is backing one side of the civil war, and it happens to be the side of the brutal Somosista regime, the Somoza regime, that was on the side of the U.S., that was supported by the U.S. because you can count on our local thugs to make war on the genuine needs and interests of the people. We don't want minimum wage. We don't want education in that country. We don't want that country to be at peace if being at peace means the people of the country get to take over and run the country on their own terms. We don't want peace if peace means the people of that country get to sell the country's natural resources for a fair market value on the world market. We can't have that. Continuing to read from President Reagan's speech, We can and must help Central America. Notice how he says we are helping Central America. It's in our national interest to do so and morally it's the right thing to do. Well by golly if it's the right thing to do then let's do the right thing. But this is where it gets Orwellian because what Reagan wants to do is the wrong thing. A war of aggression is the wrong thing. He says, but helping means doing enough. Enough to protect our security. Who are we protecting our security from? Enough to protect our security and enough to protect the lives of our neighbors. Look, mostly our neighbors wouldn't be in danger if it weren't for our meddling. But he says we want to protect the lives of our neighbors so that they might live in peace and democracy without the threat of communist aggression and subversion. So when he says peace, he means war. When he says democracy, he means autocracy. When he says communist aggression, what he means is that the will of the people are asserting themselves. When he says subversion, it means the people of Nicaragua are trying to subvert the will of the overarching empire, the United States, which will, which, for which there are no limits to the United States' ability and willingness to support our own corrupt corporations. A little background on this. I know that the names of these countries can blur together. That's certainly the way it was for me when I started to study this material in 2018. But there are four countries in Central America that keep coming up again and again and again. Mostly those four Three of those four countries have been under the rule of U.S. puppet dictators and brutal regimes for the better part of the last 70 years, and those three countries are Guatemala, El Salvador, and Honduras. And the fourth in that set of four is Nicaragua, which has been mostly out from under United States domination since 1979. In the 1980s it was the Sandinistas who came to power. The Sandinistas are named after Sandino who was a liberator who became president of Nicaragua and died in the 1920s. So when the people of Nicaragua got a chance to retake their government In the late 1970's they called themselves the Sandinistas after Sandino. Nicaragua is still under sanctions. The reason it's under sanctions is because Nicaragua, just like Cuba, just like Venezuela, are the perpetual enemies of the United States government as long as they don't, you know, roll out the red carpet for American corporations. When they want the resources of their country to be used for the benefit of the people of their country, then they become the enemy of the United States. This has been true about Fidel Castro. He was the enemy of the United States and we're taught and trained that he was a bad guy. He is a dictator, etc., etc. He wants to wage aggressive war throughout our hemisphere. But the fact that he was primarily concerned with the well-being of his own people makes him the enemy. The same in Venezuela. There was a Sanchez in power in Venezuela in the late 90s when Hugo Chavez came to power. And since the late 90s, Venezuela has been under the rule of its own people and not under the rule of a U.S.-backed puppet dictator. And Venezuela has better elections than we do. We're not concerned about democracy in Venezuela. They have better elections than we do. Nicaragua has better elections than we do. So when we complain about these countries, we're not complaining about them for the benefit of the people. We are slandering and misrepresenting them because American billionaires and corporations aren't getting their pound of flesh from these little countries. So mostly this segment, this episode is about El Salvador, but reagan make, it's about Nicaragua, but Reagan makes frequent reference to El Salvador, which borders on Nicaragua. And throughout the 1980s, just the way the US was meddling with Nicaragua, we were also meddling with El Salvador. The only difference is that it, in Nicaragua, we were on the side of the so-called rebels, the ones who wanted to reinstate the Somoza government, whereas in El Salvador, we were on the side of the brutal regime, the brutal pro-American regime. There was a civil war in both places. It's just that El Salvador remained in the American sphere of influence and Nicaragua has successfully resisted being in the American sphere, of in, in the United States sphere of influence. So here's what Reagan has to say about the Sandinistas. He says, The Sandinistas who rule Nicaragua are communists whose relationship and ties to Fidel Castro of Cuba go back a quarter of a century. A number of the Sandinistas were trained in camps supported by Cuba, the Soviet bloc, and the PLO. Ooh, let's throw the Palestinians in there. PLO, Palestinian Liberation Organization. It is important to note that Cuba, the Sandinistas, the Salvadoran communist guerrillas, and the PLO have all worked together for many years. The Cuban-backed Sandinistas were made a major attempt to topple the Somoza regime in Nicaragua in the fall of 1978. Recall that the Somoza regime are the bad guys by any standards that anybody would be proud. You know, if you're for democracy, then you would be for the Sandinistas and against the Somozas. But the United States is not on the side of democracy here. Reagan is not on the side of democracy here. Reagan says the Sandinistas failed. They were then called to Havana, where Castro cynically instructed them in the ways of successful communist insurrection. Well, this is just taking advantage of so many scare words. Communism is a scare word. Castro is a scare word. Castro is the boogeyman. Communists are the boogeyman. It's like, can we at some point in the foreseeable future stop being childish and stop being led around by people who want to tell us fairy tales. This is fairy tale storytelling. This is myth-making. This is good guys and bad guys, cowboys and Indians. It's infantile, and we, the people of America, live in the United States of amnesia because we don't know our own history well enough to separate truth from fiction, truth from lies. So Reagan says that when the Sandinistas were with Cuba, he, were with Fidel Castro in Cuba, he said, the Sandinistas listened and learned. They returned to Nicaragua and promised to establish democracy. Well, that's what they did. The Organization of American States on June 23, 1979, passed a resolution stating that the solution for peace in Nicaragua required that the Samosa that Samosa step down and that free elections be held as soon as possible to establish a truly democratic government that would guarantee peace, freedom, and justice. So Reagan goes on and on and on telling stories that at best are half true, but here's how you decide whether he's telling you truth or lies. Here's how you decide. Go country by country, decade by decade and say, in that decade, In that country, was the United States on the side of freedom and democracy, or was it on the side of tyranny and violence? You will find, whether you're talking about Guatemala and the ouster of Jacoba Arbenz, or whether you're talking about the Sandinistas in Nicaragua, whether you're talking about the government versus the rebels in El Salvador, the United States is on the wrong side every single time time. We have no business to talk about freedom or democracy. And that is the truth. We need to separate truth from fiction. And only when we know the truth, only when we know our true history, will we be able to separate truth from fiction and stop supporting all the worst elements in our culture around the world. That's all the time we have. Thank you for joining me. Have a wonderful day.